Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Politics. All right. Well, I know it's been a minute since I've been here, but I had to come up with some good news stories, folks, that I thought worthy to talk about. Needless to say, before I get into the issues of the day in regards to the stimulus package and several other malfeasance committed by the Biden administration and a few other things in regards to the um, Biden gaffes, never as they continue onward, not surprisingly. I would like to send my condolences first and foremost to two FBI agents who lost their lives today protecting us. They're doing an early morning raid at 6 a.m on a gentleman who apparently was involved in some type of child pornography. And he opened fire on them, killed two agents, and I guess wounded three others. The suspect himself was killed. And it's something else when our the town I live in, about 95,000 population, by the way, that make the international news. So I was very... Um, sad about this and we wish we extend our sadness to the families and also to the FBI. This is a terrible day for the FBI. Nearly 35 years ago in Miami, there was a firefight between two guys who were robbing banks who had automatic weapons. Um, and the FBI at the time, they only, when they were trying to pull them over, only basically had handguns revolvers, I believe. And two of the agents got killed that day. And they named one of the buildings that I, before COVID, right next to my job in Miramar, um, there was an, there's an FBI building there. And they named one of the agents, I think either Jerry Dove or the other gentleman's last name is Grogan. And I thought about that every time I saw their names, as I drove into work, went by that building, I said to myself, that, the immense sacrifice they made. A great ep- reenactment episode of FBI Files. If you can look it up on called Firefight on YouTube, it's worth the view. And it gives you an absolute profound respect for law enforcement. Let me tell you something. You see that, you know that these men put their lives on, and women put their lives on the line every day. And we can't thank them enough. All first responders, thank you. Okay, now that I've gotten that piece of news out of the way, we can launch into the regular national news, such as several days ago was announced by the liberal Trump-hating New York State Attorney General, uh, I, I'm, I don't want to mispronounce her name, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, she basically did a random act of investigation, like I always say about journalists, random act of journalism. She reported with her investigators that the COVID deaths in New York State were underreported by 50%. Cuomo says, Governor Cuomo, says that he goes to bed at night knowing that he saved lives. And you're all going to die of something anyway. So they died of COVID. 
My father died, he said. I mean, the arrogance. I'm just like, there is, it's breathtaking. It's astonishing this man who runs the state does not care about people at all. Take, he doesn't take even an ounce of responsibility for this. It's absolutely reprehensible. You know, he could at least apologize. At the least, even if it was a fake, I'm sorry. People are gullible for that in America. But he doesn't even do that. He's like, oh, now they died. So what? Bump in the road. I guess he figures they're old anyway. They lived a full life. It's just unreal, the lack of compassion, the heartlessness of this man. I just, and of course, he gets away with it. Imagine if Trump said that, who they always accused of being heartless, by the way, and which he wasn't. Uh, it's just, it you know, never ceases to amaze me. So they're basically, I guess CNN, in a rare act of journalism, um, Sanjay Gupta, their medical doctor, who's always critical of Trump on everything, actually said, oh, this is very disturbing, he says to Jake Tapper. Oh, yeah, I've... Can't believe this. Oh, lamenting and hand wringing. Well, welcome to the party, pal. I mean, Andrew Cuomo and his brother Chris Cuomo on CNN with Don Lamon. I mean, these people just have no shame whatsoever with anything they do. And this COVID thing is just the latest strong example of that. So we'll see if. Like if this has story has any legs, but I doubt it. I think it's probably already dying in the wind as I as I'm speaking right now. Well, moving on to Kamala Harris. There was a comparison made. I thought it was an interesting write-up. And an article I read basically said that Kamala Harris, you know, she helped set up a bail fund. Most of you are aware of this during the after shortly after the George Floyd riots for the BLM protesters. So she would raise money to help these people who rioted, caused destruction, violence, who knows what, mayhem, malfeasance, to get bailed out of jail. So my thing is, imagine if Trump had set up a fund. The question that was asked in the article in regards to the Capitol Hill rioters, set up a fund in legal defense to defend them. You'd never hear the end of it, those insurrectionists. But see, the BLM and Antifa and all the like, are not in the George Soros-backed protesters. They're not insurrectionists. They're not anti-American. No, they're doing us a favor by making us all woke against racism. So that's okay. And one particular gentleman that was freed twice, and he was just charged again for the third time. So, and that's just, you know, what they know about. Imagine there's probably hundreds of these people, you know, keep getting bailed out, going back in, bailed out. And a lot of these states, that brings me to another related topic. You know, New York has set up, I'm not sure how it works in Minnesota, but I know there's other places that democratic cities and counties that have done um, no bail. Like in New York, I believe it's New York state. I know the city has it where basically if you get caught with any crime, there's no bail. I don't even know if it's true for murder. I'm going to look that up. None, nevertheless, what's disturbing is the fact that they, you know, can do all these things and there's no consequence whatsoever. And they know it. The police know it. Why even arrest these people? Why not make it a crime anymore? It should be against the law. 
there's like a pervasive sense of anarchy that is running a deep thread through some sectors of our metropolitan cities. There's no doubt about that, none whatsoever. And because of that, um, you know, I got to say, I got to go biblical for a moment. Matthew 24, at one point, Jesus says, the love of, because of the increase of lawlessness, now I believe he's referring to sin in general, but I think you can even apply it to this situation in our country over the last several years. Since, you know, almost really since Trayvon Martin, although we get a few reprieves and it rises up, and after the George Floyd, everything just exploded. Two billion in property damage, by the way. Um, I know I might have previously mentioned that. Nevertheless, so, the, you know, Jesus said, because of the increase in lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. Well, do you feel any love out there? Do you feel any tolerance? Especially toward those, I'm going to shift again, to another point of view. If you have anything outside the view and you're considered a Christian nationalist or an insurrectionist. If you don't agree with transgenderism, they suspended a Christian group, Focus on the Family, on Twitter, because they called the assistant health secretary, who is transgender, who Biden appointed, by the way, they said he's a biological male. And because he's not addressed by his, what he identifies with as a female, Twitter suspended their account. This is a guy who's responsible for some aspects of science. Think about that. He's in the healthcare industry, which has a strong scientific component, <laughs> obviously, right? But yet he's transgender. From the party of science, climate change. Not a related note. I don't want to get off track, but you get the idea. Climate change transgenderism, all these other things. They kept saying Trump ignores the science when it comes to masks and COVID, even though the science kept changing and there was a lot of hypocrisy. But that's a whole other story. So, all right. Moving on to, I'll give you another headline. Ten moderate Republicans met with Biden yesterday to propose a toned-down COVID package of, of their own. Basically, less than one-third of what the Democrats want. The Democratic pa package is $1.9 trillion. And basically, the Republicans want $1.3, I'm sorry, one-third of that for $600 billion. They still get everybody gets a $1,000 check each, whereas in the Democratic plan, it's $1,400 each. And of course, they want to spend, like, I think the huge difference was at least $120 to $150 billion, I'll have to look up the numbers exactly, of funds for the teachers union that the Democrat proposal wants and Republicans have, you know, they have like 20 billion for the schools and vaccines and, you know, but the Democrats, they want to spend a boatload of money on that. But what I can't figure out is where is all the rest of the money? You know, in comparison, you're talking about $1.3 trillion difference between the two. And that only accounts, as I mentioned, for about 150 billion. So there is a major difference there. You factor in even the fourteen hundred dollar checks. Okay, so that'll add another hundred, hundred twenty, hundred fifty. Who knows? Maybe a hundred some billion there, maybe because it's four hundred dollars more per person. 
Um, you still don't get anywhere. You're still well shy of the 1.3 billion difference. And maybe you account for down to a billion of it. Who knows? But it's it's amazing the stark difference. So they had a two-hour meeting, and of course, moderate Republican Susan Collins said it was a wonderful talk. I don't think we agreed on much, but you know, she had it basically had she looked at everything through rose-colored glasses. And to me, I think it's a waste of time. Because while they were doing that yesterday afternoon, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and Chucky Schumer, majority leader now in the Senate, came up with a budget reconciliation proposal where they don't need 60 votes in the Senate in order to drive this through. They just need a simple majority, 50 plus one, which I read earlier today that Joe Manchin, the one Democrat who, you know, is on the fence with some things, he's going to vote for this. So, and I think all the other 49 Democrats are going to do it. So they're going to have 50-50. Maybe they might get a one Republican to vote with this. I don't know if that's going to happen. But either way, even if it's 50-50, Kamala Harris being the VP will break the tie. And they'll get it through. It'll pass in the House, probably on a party line vote, you know, maybe along 10, you know, five, eight to 10, you know, Republic uh, vote majority on that. Maybe about two or three conservative Democrats might defect, but I doubt it. Um, I'm for it in terms of the stimulus checks alone, but I'm against it because along with that, and maybe this is answering the question I was asking rhetorically a moment ago. They want to raise the minimum wage to a, from seven and a quarter to $15 an hour nationally. Don't they realize what that's going to do to small business? I mean, this is just patently absurd. It's such a destructive force to put that owner, you know, that onus, that backbreaking measure on these small businesses, especially employers who have 20 or less than 50 employees. Think of those who have less than 10. They're going to have to lay people off. And the big companies, McDonald's, the Burger Kings of the world, whatnot, the franchises who operate everywhere, you're going to start seeing a whole lot more kiosks. Yeah, you're still going to have some employees, but it's actually going to be a job killer. They've already been trying this for a couple of years now as a pilot thing in Seattle. And from what I've heard from some of the conservatives out there, um, there's a guy who comes on Tucker, I forget his name, but he's saying that, uh, you know, it's the unemployment rate has been driven upward, especially among the young people, and it's already been high. Don't they realize? No, they don't think. They just think, hey, give everybody 15 bucks an hour, but they don't. Look at the cost. And besides that, here's some stats for you folks. And maybe they've been updated, but only slightly. So a number of years ago, from what I've read, at the very highest, 4 to 5% of the workforce works for minimum wage. Actually, I think it's probably 2 to 3%. But let's just give, give it up to 4 or 5%. That means 95% minimum do not work for minimum wage. And of that 4 or 5%, if it is 4 or 5%, 60% of them are teenagers. Well, I don't know about you. Call me old-fashioned. Call me old-school. 
I had a job years ago, and I started out, and this is going to reflect my age, at three thirty-five an hour at the age of fifteen, working at Hope College cafeteria in the dish room. I, w- I had no experience. Not very many fifteen-year-olds do beyond paper routes and a few other things, if that. So when they get to the job market, they're a blank slate. And I certainly didn't even have a high school diploma at at that point. So my thing is, why are you going to pay somebody like that for 15 bucks an hour? These are not career positions in most cases. Yes, you got your hard luck stories of people come out of jail and they can't do anything else. Yes, you got those who are, you know, maybe not the brightest bulbs in the pack and this is all they can do. But those are the exceptions rather than the rule. And I think by and large, work experience, you want more money, you get more experience. You want more pay, you get a better education. You develop a skill, you develop a trade, you learn something, you get a degree. You know, that's the only way to do onward and upward is experience, learning a skill or trade and education. Otherwise, and that only comes with time. I mean. I didn't walk into another job at 16, 17 years old, a year or two later after I held that job and say, okay, you know what? Now I'm worth 12 bucks an hour. Now I'm worth this. You know, it, it, it builds itself up incrementally. Now, when you get into certain positions, yeah, you're going to be paid more. There's no question that, you know, a person who works at a bakery or even, you know, as a manager there is not going to make the same as a cardiologist or an architect or a CEO. You know, who says everything is equal? It's not. Guess what? Life isn't fair. So the minimum wage thing, honestly, it it should be abolished altogether. But for the sake of argument, they should at least leave it where it's at and stop putting the onus on small business. And the bare, bare, bare minimum, what they need to do is exempt small business from this $15 an hour thing. Anybody less than 100 employees, you don't have to pay them 15 bucks an hour or at least make them say, you know, seven or eight bucks an hour, which, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, it's 725 now. And in some states, you know, they should basically have the state's experiment because of cost of living. Honestly, in South Florida, where I reside, it's rather expensive here, but it's not quite as expensive as Southern California or even where San Francisco and North California or New York City. So they should have a higher wage but that's based on cost of living. And it's not, you know, even New York City shouldn't have the same as upstate New York because I imagine it's a whole lot cheaper to live there or in Mississippi, you know, where $15 an hour goes a lot further there than it would in Manhattan. People need to think of these things, you know, instead of doing, that's why the federal, oftentimes, not in every case, but many instances, federalism is a problem. States are the bastions of experience, and that is one of the hidden solutions to minimum wage laws. Instead of making something arbitrary and say, 15 bucks an hour, you know, and this is all by the George Soros. This is part of, out of the, you know, socialist manifesto, you know, Bernie's for this $15 an hour, you know, because millionaires and billionaires, you know, are making all this money and they can afford to pay their people more. As if every small business person is a, is a millionaire or a billionaire. In most cases, they're not. I'm talking about the small business now. By the way, speaking of small business, that's about 83 to 
of all businesses in the United States, or at least it was before COVID. Maybe it's less than that now because so many small businesses have gone under since March of 2020, you know, which is a tragedy. But, you know, this is what happens. All right. Now that I've moved on and my minimum wage exposition, speaking of the job situation, Joe Biden picked to run the unemployment at the federal level. A gentleman, or is it a lady? I'll just say a person. That way I'm not being transphobic. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, there's a person going to be there running the federal unemployment who's responsible at their previous job for losing $600 million at the state level to a Nigerian scheme that defrauded Washington ta- state taxpayers out of, yeah, $600 million. So we're going to trust this person who apparently has at least some degree of incompetence. But unlike the private sector, you lose your job or get demoted at the very least. In government, they promote you. If you're incompetent, you move up. So, you know, that's just the way it goes. There's no reward for people who are successful, who deserve promotion. You know, the more incompetent you are, you keep going up. That's the way government is. They've got everything turned on its head, 180 degree, 80 degrees wrong. That's what it is. It never ceases to amaze me. The further you go up the, the, the chain, you know, the, you look at their history, their background, you think, how in the world did they get to be secretary of this department? How in the world did they get to be, you know, in this position? It makes no sense. But then in government, it does. Just keep promoting them upward. They screw that up, give them more responsibility. How typical. Joe Biden, oh, one last thing. Joe Biden says he only wants to vaccinate 300 Americans, and he said it twice yesterday by September of this year. You heard right. Biden said he wants to vaccinate 300 Americans. Look, I know it's a Freudian slip. I know the guy is... um, You know, he's goofing up like he does with his words. We all make mistakes. We all have gas. But the thing is, with him, it becomes such a a repetitive posture in his speeches that you don't know what he's going to say next. He meant to say 300 million Americans, which would be 90-some percent of the country out of 330 million we have. But he said only 300. So I'm like thinking, okay, there's 50 states. So there's like, it's like a lottery draw. Only six people in each state get to um, get to vaccination. (laughs) Wow. Florida has like, I think around 21 million people. Imagine that six people here in our state, the third largest, most populated state in the country. Um, Just ahead of New York now. And we're only going to get six people vaccinated. Ha ha, right? But why do you say it twice? I mean, it's one thing you say something once, you're like, catch yourself and say, okay. But anyway, I don't want to make more of it than what it is because he probably did another gaffe today and I'm not even aware of or I missed it. So y'all better idiosyncrasies. Well, I would submit to you that today 
We have spoken about politics and so much more.